So let's go ahead and kick this super exciting panel off. I am really excited to be here today with all of you. Um, for the people who I don't know, because I see some new faces uh, on, on the attendee list here, I am Fielding Jameson. I lead strategy for the Global Sports Venture Studio, or what we call GSVS. And what GSVS is, it is, it is a collaboration between sports organizations, corporate partners, and the sports innov innovation ecosystem, specifically startups, really coming together with the goal of shaping what the future of sport is. And so again, happy to be here with you guys today. Very excited for these panelists that we have because we are talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, which is why the future of sports uh, specifically as it relates to athletes and fans, is female. And I've been a part of a number of amazing conversations around the sports ecosystem and more and more women working in sports, but haven't seen um, as much uh, conversation around why women should be at the forefront of leagues and teams' mind when it comes to women's sports, women as athletes, and women as fans. Um, and so before we dive in and I introduce my amazing panelists, just wanted to kind of shape the narrative a little bit here with, with some numbers to go over. Because while some great strides have been taken to actually close that gender gap when it comes to sports coverage, sponsorship, and even reaching out in terms of fandom, we're actually still not close to delivering what our female athletes deserve and, and female fans deserve. And so, for example, you know, in 2020, women were making up almost 50%, about 47% of highly engaged and passionate sports fans worldwide. So there are a lot of women out there who are fans of sports. And even in 2019, Roger Goodell came out saying that the league had reached an all-time high of fandom. Again, 47% of those fans were female. And so these are some super positive numbers. Some less positive numbers, a little bit on the athlete side, are looking at salary gaps, right? While the WNBA's highest paid salary is around $117,000, the highest paid salary in the NBA is $40 million. And while some of the highest paid soccer players in the world make over $100 million, um, the highest paid female soccer athletes are looking at about six. And so I think that a lot of these, you know, conversations shape around the chicken and the egg, what comes first. Um, female fandom, um, pe pe people paying attention to women in sports, media cover or media coverage and sponsorship. And is that what drives fandom? Is that what drives interest? And so we're going to dive into some of that today. Um, we, I have some amazing panelists here um, who are going to take us through um, you know, how they're thinking about female fans, how they're building, some of them are building products as it relates to female fans and athletes, and even some investing um, in the space. And so, um, Tracy, JC, Kobe, Laura, thank you so much for being here today. Want to take a minute for um, you guys to just introduce yourselves, tell our audience who you are, um, where you work, especially if you're a startup, what you're, what you're building. And so, um, Tracy, I will start with you. Great. Thank, thank you, Fielding, for having this because the conversations are really important. So hello, everybody. I wish I could be there uh, in person, but this virtual environment is giving us more opportunity to see each other. So in new ways, I'm Tracy Benson. I'm CEO and co-founder of Obsesh, and I've always been obsessed about women in sports. I was an athlete myself, and we're out to change the game. 
Obsesh is a real-time sports platform and marketplace that's connecting consumers with top athletes. In particular, we're solving the issue for 99% of niche athletes that don't have inclusiveness, economic opportunities, and that definitely includes women. So our marketplace makes it easy for any consumer to level up their obsessions with any athlete directly through personalized experiences. My background has been uh, probably three areas. Started out in retail building giant pipes uh, for companies like Home Depot uh, back in the high growth days. I did a little bit of time at some agencies in the digital space early on. And then I've uh, grown as a chief marketing officer overseeing brand advertising and uh, technology in particular in consumer product spaces for companies like Monster, Beats, and I was ahead of digital for Best Buy. But now it's time to change the game. So that's what I'm doing. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Tracy. Um, JC, let me go to you. Yeah, hi everyone. And thank you Fielding for the intro and for, for having us all today. I totally agree, Tracy. These kinds of conversations are, are super important. Um, so I'm one of three co-founders of The Gist. Um, we are a female founded sports media startup. We're all about making sports more accessible and inclusive to all types of fans, predominantly for female identifying fans. Um, we create sports content experiences and community. It's all created by women. Um, and again, for that, that more underserved fan. So our main channel is the Gist newsletter. It's three times weekly. You can sign up at thegistsports.com. Um, and, and that's been kind of the main way that we've, we've built up our community since, since 2018. We're now at um, a community of over 200,000 across North America. We're in um, 10 different cities across North America with local newsletters. Um, and, and yeah, we, we see a lot of potential and a lot of momentum in the space too, which has been really cool to see. Um, and then just really focusing a little bit more on that female fan and what they're interested in. Great, thank you. Uh, Kobe, let me go over to you. Oh, you're on mute. Always on mute. Uh, thank you, Philly, for the introduction. <laughs> um, my name is Kobe Jones, and I'm a former professional soccer player, and uh, I do some broadcasting now as well, where I've had the pleasure of broadcasting uh, the last within the last Women's World Cup with Fox Sports. But um, mostly now, I am involved as an investor. Uh, with a founding investor with Angel City Football Club, the new professional women's soccer team in Los Angeles that is women's, women's led. So for me, it's, uh, it's something exciting to see, you know, bringing a professional women's sport to the Los Angeles area, but also to see how Angel City has uh, come about and put themselves out into the market where it has been extremely exciting, you know, with every avenue where they're pushing the limits. And I think uh, being an example for a variety of sports teams in the future. Absolutely. We're definitely going to uh, get into that today. We at GSVS are very proud to have both Fox Sports and um, Angel City as members. And so um, thank you so much for joining us. And Laura. Yeah, thanks for putting me right after the professional broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I am really delighted to be here and to, to meet and connect with, with you guys here. Um, it is uh, such an important conversation to have, and I feel very fortunate to have spent, you know, the, almost 12 years now at Spurs Sports and Entertainment through a, a journey where we have, you know, um, 
hired a, a coach that's been a game changer whole, her whole life, um, but now has just kind of shattered ceilings and, and really given everyone a lift in their work and their effort around what women are, you know, are doing in sport. Um, and then as, as it relates to the pro sports assembly, um, have been in cahoots with quite a few people across professional sports to create a um, what is common in most mature industries, but really a trade association for people that work at teams, leagues, and unions, but with an explicit purpose of advancing diverse and inclusive leadership, um, especially focused around women. And we know that in professional sports, um, at least according to the last data set from Tides, uh, the four major leagues that participate, less than 25% of VP level and above roles in professional teams, leagues, and unions are filled by women, and less than 20% are filled by minorities. So when you look at the intersection of that, we have a lot of work to do, and that's what the Pro Sports Assembly is about and why we're uh, gathering together with teams, leagues, and unions uh, across North America to advance that purpose. Great. Thanks so much, Laura. You're going to bring such a great perspective for kind of both, both sides of, of what you do here. So I am going to kick off the panel, JC, by going to you because you have kind of didn't go the normal job route, right? You decided to start a, to start a startup and you specifically saw a need for speaking to women about sports, about women's sports, um, why? Why did you, where did you see this gap and why did you feel like you guys were the right ones to fill it? Yeah. Yeah. So myself and my co-founders all came from the finance and consulting worlds um, before the gist. And it was really in that professional, very corporate setting that I think it, that how sports is just a social currency was really, really exacerbated um, in that kind of environment. And you know, I think it's no surprise to anyone, and, and we've gone through a few of the stats, but the reality is that it's still in that professional setting or in a personal setting or what have you as a female fan, sports still feels like this, this boys club. Um, so there is that kind of personal observation from, from our day-to-day -day lives, but also seeing how the media industry generally was really unbundling. Um, we saw people choosing and trusting more niche communities, um, Barstool over time, The Skim. Um, we've seen tons of success with those kinds of players in the last few years too. Um, and how, from a sports perspective, a lot of fans, and in particular female fans, really just weren't watching games from end to end. Um, and so that broadcast component wasn't, wasn't as large for a lot of those cable cutters. And then also observed how in ourselves and just, you know, amongst our friends too, how women were, were demanding more and, you know, to be spoken to in a way that kind of accounted for their perspective. And, and we're looking for, again, those more niche communities that were better catered to them. Um, and so we wanted to create really something that was going to be the exact opposite of that boys club feeling, something that was just going to be a lot more make sports feel a lot more inclusive and accessible to all sports fans. Um, and I mentioned, you know, we're primarily serving that mission through content, but experiences community um, are also a large part of, of what we've built. So 
in 2018, we launched the GIST newsletter. We saw the newsletter as a really interesting way that we could build a community um, and have a really strong relationship and direct kind of line to our audience too, um, and, and really like own our audience and for them to really opt into a conversation with us as well. Um, so yeah, the GIST newsletter started off in 2018. And as I mentioned, now we've, we've grown pretty significantly beyond Toronto, where we first started off. And, and yeah, we've been seeing that there's so many other women out there that like us, whether it's from a corporate setting or wherever they are, have felt kind of underserved or ignored or in some capacity by kind of the sports world and have been looking for, for something like us that's delivering that sports content in a bit of a different way. That's great. Um, certainly would encourage our audience if you haven't signed up, whether just male or female, um, it is an, it's a great newsletter to get and just keep you updated, uh, updated on sports. I just want to hit on something, you know, JC, you were talking about delivering kind of content and experiences and why I think those things can be um, really important to uh, women audiences, but also all audiences that are looking at sports. And Tracy, I'd love to go to you about that because you guys have built a platform for obviously for both male and women athletes um, and, and for both um, female and male fans. Um, but you've done it with another co-founder who's also a woman and you've put women at the forefront of, as you thought about building this product as we talked about. Um, talk a little bit about you know, the idea, that idea around tying content and experiences and what that means for, for your platform and, and how you think you know, both women from an athlete and fan perspective are engaging with it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a never ending, uh, you know, blueprint that you have to focus on every single day, because as we, you know, pointing out the obvious uh, sports, you know, has largely been designed our commercial systems and our value chain has largely been designed around male league sports, especially in the U.S. And so we started obsessed to humanize sports and bring a specific vision to the world. And that vision, you know, is about athletes being able to do what they love for a living, make money at it, and connecting them with the fans that want to support them. We never set out to create a male platform, you know, uh, so we intentionally want inclusiveness. We want, you know, access to everybody. And as you guys have pointed out through the numbers, 50% of women participate in sports 50% are, you know, professional. They just don't have the media that reflects them. They don't have the experiences that feel natural to them. And so I can only speak as a woman, you know, we see the world differently. We connect emotionally. That's really important, whether it's through advertising experiences, the newsletter you might get. We come at things from a different perspective. And so often those leagues and teams and properties historically over the last 30 years were built on, you know, ex hockey player is now in, you know, a executive hockey role. And so we have intentionally said, if we want to attract women, which is what we want to do, and we want to attract niche athletes, we want to give everybody that opportunity, we have to focus on it at every level. So we focus on it, especially in the beginning from a what is our brand reputation that we want to build? We want to build a reputation that says women are welcome, that niche is welcome, that inclusiveness, you know, whether you're like a bobsledder or you're a professional, you know, uh, women's soccer league player or you're a track and field runner for USA, we put that into our design. So in particular, we looked at 
things when uh, around our brand like colors. You know, younger audiences see less boxes around male and female, and they see a lot of fluidity. So we took colors that can be adaptive, that pop in life, that communicate inspiration. We took the experience of our marketplace and our platform to be as simple and as efficient and take all the friction out for any single woman. And some of that friction comes through the language. It comes through the imagery. It comes through what is said in those experiences. And so not only does the front door make a big difference for us, and we're intentional about seeking women that want to level up, that want and have a willingness. When athletes are doing the experiences, so in its simplicity, a fan can come in, book an experience with any athlete, and they can have a personalized content experience. We have to make sure when females who see men as aspiration, when those males are giving the experience, they can't be talking like, yo, dude, right? And that might be natural for them, but what we look at is, does that male athlete have a lot of females that follow them? Yes, the answer is yes, a lot more than we typically would think. And so we make sure their experience when they're giving it feels inclusive, feels like it could be gender fluid, if you will. Right. Um, and so by the consumers putting in information, we can make some assumptions. The athlete can make some assumptions. This is a woman or this is somebody who identifies with she, they, them, you know, and that's part of the whole experience. You got to be intentional at every single path because women deserve to reclaim their power. And so but we have to think about it. It's not going to happen naturally as we've seen in the sports market for 40 plus years. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And Kobe, I want to bring you into this conversation because I think as we talk about, um, you know, women being re kind of reclaiming their power, kind of pulling that seat up to the sports table, um, both from a fandom and athlete perspective, um, you know, I think that is critical and it is so important that we have men as a part of that journey with us and that's why you know i was so excited you were able to join us today because i think you bring a very unique perspective as somebody who was a male uh, pro athlete um, and now an investor and part owner of a woman's team and so would just love to know you know from your perspective what what prompted you to make that investment in into a woman's soccer team well the, the, the... To be honest, you know, there's a variety of things that prompted me. I mean, I, I can go into a couple of them, but you know, one of the things for me is maybe maybe I was ahead of my time, but I never thought that this was a zero sum game. You know, where if the women got more, that the men get less, and, and vice versa. So for me, when the opportunity came to actually you know get involved in a professional team in my hometown, and it was a women's professional soccer team. I jumped all over the chance because I thought this is going to be fantastic. This is an expansion of the women's professional soccer league coming into the Los Angeles area. And I thought, you know, this is a good time to get in as a, as an investor, you know, into this and to support women and the opportunities, you know, or the lack of opportunities that they have had in the past and to help create more. And that leads into uh, kind of the second reason is that, I wanted to kind of extend this kind of thought and philosophy to my two boys. You know, I have two young boys and I wanted them to kind of go along the same lines that I did to say, it's not a zero sum game that there is a, a, an opportunity for them to learn, you know, from this. And as Tracy said earlier, I see it with them every day. There are no boxes of just, okay, 
this is what boys do and this is what girls do, you know, anymore. Like when I was growing up, I see it when they play video games or they're playing things like this. A lot of the times, you know, they'll play as the female character. You know, now for me, you know, like when I was growing up, most of the times you would have gotten like, oh, why are you doing that? You know, or something. But now it is very natural for them and their friends to say, oh, that's the cool characters. You know, she's the best. She's the best one. So they will not think about it in the same ways that, you know, that I did as a kid or my friends or family did as a kid. And it's very different now. So for them, I wanted to show them that, yeah, we can continue this thought process into the future that you can support women, you know, in every, in every aspect, if it's, you know, as professional uh, athletes, you know, as if it's, you know, teammates of yours, as you're participating in sports, you know, these are all the things that I wanted to pass along, you know, to my children and to, uh, so that's, that's the second point. And to see, you know, the possibilities there, it's exciting, you know, it's exciting with uh, Angel City, and everything that is going on just to see the 99ers, you know, come together and be a, a huge part of that. You know, they're a lot of my friends. You know? <laughs> so it was, it's always nice to get involved with people that, you know, and to, and are friends with. So that was a big, you know, that was one other big point I said, you know, what, I'm going to give back and I'm going to support. That's great. Um, fantastic. And, and definitely, you know, Angel City has been so unique in the way that they've brought so many people together, um, men, women, diverse people all, all together to kind of support this team. Um, and so very, very excited um, to see what comes in 2022. So um, we will certainly, you know, be, be ready for that launch. Laura, would love to hear your perspective as we talk about teams, right? And the idea of, you know, we just were talking about a female woman's team here. Uh, but as we look at kind of men's teams and specifically San Antonio Spurs is a really interesting uh, case study because you do have a woman coach. Uh, you know, how do you, how is your organization thinking about female fans and, and potentially approaching them um, differently, if, if at all differently uh, than male fans? And I think you're actually on mute. We, we um, you know, have had a WNBA franchise um, as part of the Spurs sports and entertainment portfolio. Um, and female fans have always been, you know, very engaged and active part of the Spurs family. We have female ownership in our uh, investor group. And I think that that has always, you know, just helped everyone maintain perspective of the value of, you know, of both genders or all genders that are involved in, in sport. And, um, you know, we have a partnership with Nike for, with game growers and the Spurs Youth Basketball League, as you think about the, you know, the future of fans, youth are, are our future fans, right? And um, when we think about the future being female, well, I mean, there, there is no future without females. Um, there's no future without males either, but we're in this together. And I think that's um, something that we try to um, be very intentional about with our youth development and engagement. So having Nike involved in this new Game Growers program has um, given us a new platform to enhance what we've been doing for um, gosh, over 25 years with the Spurs Youth Basketball League, which is co-ed. Um, the two young women, uh, Isabel and Sophia, 
our middle schoolers who have been identified to be our great game growers, and they're going to have the opportunity to plug in and meet and connect with young women their age all over the world and, and strategize around how they want to influence and impact the future of, of sport. So we're super excited about you know, how that program will take shape. Um, as it relates to you know fans in the building, you know <laughs> right now we're just all anxiously awaiting the return of fans to the building and want to see you know men and women come in together and and get back in uh, on the action. So um, I, I guess as you know as it relates to to Becky's role and how she's influenced the um, you know the dynamic um, you know. She wasn't selected to be a coach because she's a female. She was selected to be a coach because she's a badass coach, and she, you know, can coach and and hang with the best of basketball coaches around the world. And I think that's probably the most important message um, that you know that we need to learn and understand is that you know it is is you know, a, a very special platform to have to be in that position, but it wasn't something that, um, that was given to her because of, you know, because of her gender. Of course, of course. Yeah. I'm excited for the day where we kind of get to where we, we don't, we can, you know, we can name more than five to 10, um, you know, women coaches, uh, across this, the professional sports ecosystem and, and really start to just kind of take away that kind of female coach uh, language that even I used to say, and, you know, they there should be proud to be a part of that, that is part of their identity and who they, they are. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, want to get to that point where it's just, it's just coach. Uh, so I think, you know, we're yeah. on the path, we're going to get there and with supporters like this on the channel, we're, we're definitely going to, and in our audience, we have some great um, members of part of GSVS who are working to look at that as well. So I, uh, I, I, one thing. I was glad I was thinking about Kobe's comments about his boys, because, you know, the, the orange hoodies, the, the W's orange hoodies that ran out, you couldn't find them anywhere if you wanted them. Well, I got one for Christmas and our 11 year old boy has been like fighting me for it. Like he wants the orange hoodie. And I'm like, dude, hands off. Like, <laughs> You know, get a job, get your own. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, let's, um, let's talk about the orange hoodie, actually, because JC, I think you have some interesting, like almost data around how, you know, your gisters have responded uh, to the idea of men's leagues kind of supporting for now what I'll almost refer to as their sister league. So like the NBA, WNBA, um, and kind of that, the whole orange hoodie concept. So would love um, for you to tell us a little bit about that. And then also, I think you have a pretty uh, exciting new partnership with the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes, we are, we're big fans of Becky um, at the gist. So yeah. And, and the Spurs organization is, is an example of, yeah, one that has, you can tell that there's ownership and investors and a female coach. It's, it's been really cool to see. And that stems, yeah, as part of our, our partnership with, um, with the NBA and the NBA really has done a fantastic job of elevating women's sports through the W and in, in really focusing and investing in diversifying their fan base, whether that's been amongst female fans, Gen Z fans globally, et cetera, they've, they've really placed a huge emphasis on that. And I think we've seen that in the growth that the league has seen over the past few years. Um, and yeah, we've started partnering with them for this 2021 season, um, really to grow their presence and fandom amongst our gisters. So 
the NBA is already creating amazing content, fantasy contests, giveaways, all of those kinds of things. But what we've noticed is that our audience wouldn't typically seek out a lot of that content or, or stumble upon it um, or, or be part of kind of the NBA's ecosystem. Um, and so because we really have that relationship with our gisters where they trust us, um, we share, our engagement is really around sharing a lot of what the NBA is up to um, and doing so in a way that makes it really interesting and compelling to, to our audience. And, you know, because they trust us, we're able to, we're able to do that. Um, and, you know, a key output from that too is that the NBA gains gisters in their database and in their ecosystem that they can then communicate further engage with um, and really grow their fandom um, for the NBA for the W down the line too so it's yeah it's it's been an awesome partnership so far and then even at a team level um, you know we've worked with the Ottawa Senators on the hockey side for the past two years to really create compelling content together that we know is really going to resonate with our gisters from all the testing and what have you that we've done. We know what social content's going to hit. We know what storylines are really going to, to resonate with them. And so we've worked also at a team level to help grow and diversify the sense fan base. Um, I know we mentioned it before, but really for the entire sports industry to grow, there needs to be more of a focus on growing with female fans. Um, and again, the benefit of the NBA's focus on diversifying their audience has has really been shown in the growth they've had in the last few years. It's been it's been really cool to see and to be a very small part of it. That's great. No, it's, it's super exciting um, um, partnerships that you guys have. So excited to see kind of what comes out of that. We talked a little bit about. Uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, male organizations, male teams reaching the female audience. And what I want to shift to now, though, Kobe, is, is something that you guys are going to have to be thinking about and are thinking about at Angel City, which is how do women's soccer teams not just attract women fans, but also make sure that they're attracting male fans. As we know, and as some of the numbers have shown, it can be a little bit harder for women athletes to gain traction with a, a male audience. And so I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts and perspectives on, you know, how you guys at Angel City are, are approaching that. Well, I, I would say I'm a little bit old school where it's always the product on the field. You know, first and foremost is that everybody wants to see a good team. So, you know, that's one of the one of the major, you know, parts of it, making sure that you have a quality team, a quality product. But I think, you know, some of the things that that need to be done within Angel City is making sure that we understand the new era of sports is not about just going to see the only the game. It's everything that comes around it. It's the event and the process. And I think if we can get that, you know, out to the males as well, we will will we will bring in those fans because no it's not it's not just a game it's an experience you know and I think that's what we're seeing here in Los Angeles and Angel City has done a fantastic job I think on social of kind of giving a taste of what that experience is going to be like and getting that out early and ahead and building excitement beforehand I think is one of the things that you have to do and and building that up through women is, is important. And I think as that starts to catch traction amongst the, the female community, you're going to see that kind of bleed over into the male community too. So you, you kind of attack it from a couple of different ways. You can't just go one way at it. And for me, I think some of the things that we, we're seeing um, at Angel City, as far as, as touching on the male side of it, is also 
it's Angel City reaching out to the various different sporting, uh, the sporting teams that are already in the Los Angeles area, kind of, I wouldn't say partnering up, but making sure that there is a relationship, you know, especially within the soccer world, but also within the other sporting world so that you're, you're casting a broad net to bring in as many fans as you possibly can, but especially in those traditional um, male, you know, sports, you know, where we think of, that's one way that you can kind of reach out there, get the word out and uh, bring in some of those fans, especially in Los Angeles, one of those cities where there's so much to do that there's so many different things pulling attention away that you've got to continue to try to day after day after day, you know, make sure that you're reaching. Absolutely. I think you hit on something that's so critical and interesting in sports. I think LA is a city that has done this incredibly well, which is actually the sports teams coming together and working together to actually kind of grow fandom uh, in their city. We're lucky to have be partnered with LAFC, Angel City, LA Dodgers. So three of those teams, and even just the way that they communicate that we have access to and can see is amazing, honestly, at the highest of levels at those clubs. And so when you think about, you know, building sports in a city, um, the idea that having those people on the same page as you talked about, working together, working to build uh, that fan base is, is certainly something that we are incredibly interested in um, at GSVS and, and certainly agree with. Uh, Tracy, we spent a lot of time talking about um, professional sports and, and by professional, I mean more so kind of maybe the big four uh, sports. Your platform though is taking a different approach in terms of looking at actually being much more inclusive, I think of the term athlete and really broadening that to make sure that you are bringing um, athletes who are maybe more in niche sports to the forefront. And I think something that we um, strongly believe in at GSVS and have done some work on studying is the idea that it is in everyone's best interest to continue to broaden um, the definition of athletes, to have more and more people identify as athletes. Um, and that can actually help grow pipeline to fans uh, and actually help, you know, get butts into seats at the end of the day. And so it just want to um, get your opinion on, you know, as you look at the niche sports kind of ecosystem, do you feel like the playing field, if you will, is more level between men and women, or is it even harder um, for women to kind of break in as it's, it's so hard, even in these four sports, let alone a niche. So just be curious on, on your learnings there. Yeah. I mean, if you break it down by the numbers, uh, niche does not mean small. And so many people take that mindset that niche means small niche means specialized. And when you look at the specialized sports that don't fall into the bucket of the big four, which is baseball, basketball, soccer, and uh, football, there's actually 20 times the amount of fans collectively and 20 times the amount of athletes. Because even in the, in the big four sports, it's really a 1%. And so let's use as an example, uh, tennis. That's a niche sport. That is a very, you know, um, high end cost of sport is high, but, you know, not everybody can be Serena Williams and Serena Williams, you know, has won and achieved that the podiums, the prizes, you compare that to the men's, it's still off. So when we look at the niche sports, what we're looking at is basically every sport that's not a big four, because let's face it, those sports were built for the teams, leagues, and properties to maximize revenue, not to benefit the individual. 
the individual is the product that maximizes that revenue. And so when you look by the numbers, there are more than 200 million fans that love niche sports. And you see it most often in the U.S. with like action sports, right? Action sports now, you, uh, everybody knew Sean White when he was on the mountain, but until the Olympics, you know, nobody knew him there. And now everybody knows snowboarding. And so you've got these stages and places where you can elevate these niche sports and women in particular. And a great example of what everybody's talking about here is you've got uh, women's soccer. I mean, come on. They make what? One twentieth of what the men make? Lou Messi is going to bring home 32 million. Okay. And so when we look at niche sports, if you go by the numbers, you combine all those niche sports, it's huge. Just action sports online. There's like 20,000 top athletes that influence the whole ecosystem of 800 million young fans online. They don't have a place, you know, to get the prizes, the podiums, the brands chasing them. And so we're, we're intentional and you, and you gotta be intentional. Every single person in this audience, if you assume it's gonna happen, you know, Kobe, if you assume your stands are gonna be filled with women, you, you gotta rethink that. You gotta focus on it every single day and it really starts with, you know, I've been a part of that problem. We've, uh, any advertisers been part of that problem. We've painted the pictures that younger women will see. And we got to rethink, how do we represent them? How do we bring them to life? How do we make other women want to aspire to be them? And so we, we look at it every single day and we're obsessed about it, literally. And so we have no problem reaching out blindly to a female athlete who is, you know, still in college and may never make it onto the pro team or a basketball player or a track and field runner or a skater. I'll bet nobody in here knows the top female skateboarders and they drive sometimes more fans than a stadium filled for football. Mm -hmm. and, and so we just don't think about those things because our media, our coverage, our advertising hasn't reflected them. And that's been a big piece of the last couple of years. I was an advertiser. Every advertiser has the opportunity to really think about how do we reflect and inspire other women who want to be the women that you're projecting. And so it, I would challenge everybody. Don't assume it's going to happen. It's not. You got to be intentional about it. And if you were not afraid of anything, how would you level that up this year? Because we can collectively make huge strides as we have the last year. We got to keep going. Like we right. can't go backward. So, I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, just to hit on that point, speaking of leveling up and, and creating these opportunities, you know, Laura, that is what you guys are looking to do. Um, for a number in a number of ways for both the women, but also the diverse community at the Pro Sports Assembly. And so I'd love to just hear, you know, how you guys are doing it, how you, you know, or, you know, even start at the beginning of why, why did you start this group? And how have you been thoughtful um, to Tracy's point, you know, every step of the way to make sure you are reaching that, that right audience? Uh, well, it's, it's been a long journey, but we have, you know, looked at what other healthy industries have and how they lead through challenges and how when, um, you know, when we 
see that we're at an inflection point and have uh, you know an opportunity to explore why why the industry may not be as healthy or thriving um, in a way that it should be, we can look and and see that, you know, maybe it's because the the leadership of the industry is not as diverse as it needs to be to accomplish the goals that that it needs to um, to to sustain itself in a in a healthy and and an increasingly you know diverse community um, as our sports in the U.S. become more and more global. Um, you know, we're we're not only looking at how the decisions we make impact our you know our local community, but also how they impact our global community and our global fan base. Um, so we are, you know, we are, we're six months in and we have uh, 10 pro organizations on board. Uh, Major League Baseball was the first league to come on board. And, you know, the, the demonstration of that commitment is one thing, but getting into the work and putting the time, energy, and effort into, you know, building your team, your staff, and, and getting them involved in creating connections across the leagues, across the teams, across the geography, um, to help hold each other accountable to a lot of these public commitments that organizations have made over the last year, and not just, um, you know, share virtual dialogue and spaces, but share tools, share resources, share vendor relationships that help you, you know, navigate and grow through these commitments that you've made. Um, we, we offer assessment tools for any member organization to assess where they are as, um, as a, their commitment to equity building and diversity and inclusion has you know, become public. So um, shout out to the female quotient who I'm sure many of you are familiar with because they're a partner in developing an equity assessor and equity audits and any member organization that comes on board gets to use this equity assessor that's designed specifically for professional sports organizations. So it is industry specific, um, and we took it from a model that was used in the finance industry and just adapted it to professional sports. Um, and we help organizations operationalize those commitments to diversity and inclusion and advancing diverse and inclusive leadership um, by providing classes, programs, seminars, uh, trainings, um, and, and that connectivity around accountability. And then the, the last thing that I'll add here is, um, you know, it's the hardest part, but it is helping organizations that have made a commitment um, to really build a culture that can sustain all of this investment of time and resources that they're making. Is you know, it's one thing to develop a pipeline program and get somebody into your organization. It's another thing to keep them there and to have a culture that embraces their, you know, different opinion, different perspective, different viewpoint, and how the, um, you know, organizations can grow through, you know, those different ideas and different perspectives. So um, that that's kind of the, the pro sports assembly in a nutshell, as it relates specifically to diversity and inclusion and equity building. Uh, we are working with, um, the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University to build the business case for diverse and inclusive leadership in professional sports. You've seen it, you know, for industry in general, but we don't have that specifically for pro sports. And a lot of us don't need it because we know it's the right thing to do, but some people still need it. So we want to make sure that they have access to that business case and in, in their, you know, in their internal conversations. Um, and that is just the beginning of that research project. It will go on. Um, we've 
started to have focus groups with leaders across professional sports, um, our members who are guiding and, and shaping how that how that will turn out. Adjacent to this work, I, I'm sure you guys have seen the, the work that the um, Sports Innovation Lab is doing with the FAN project. And yeah, um, I think that that is super exciting. And um, shout out to Angela for leading that and taking that huge undertaking on. Um, anyone who's tuned in, you guys should go check it out and participate and add to add to that. Um, yeah, we're big, big fans of the Sports Innovation Lab. And for those who are in our audience who might not be as familiar with what we're talking about, they made an announcement um, last week or in the last like week and a half um, where they are going to be really diving into driving um, uh, some business cases to Laura's point and some data and some reporting around female fandom and the importance of it. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're doing great work. And Laura, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know what? You, most organizations might not need this. Uh, they know it's the right thing. They're seeing some of the numbers. They understand it. Um, I think that even myself included as someone who ultimately operates in numbers and, and, and that's what big businesses do. And they do need these sort of reports and they do need these deeper dives and they do need to see the data to make, um, you know, commitments here. And so I think that, you know, it's really exciting to see kind of a number of different players Pro Sports Assembly, Sports Innovation Lab, and others um, really trying to kind of drive uh, putting together those reports. I'm just going to quickly pause here and just remind our audience that um, if you have a question for our panelists, please go ahead and click the chat function um, and you can actually type your message there as we'd love to do some, some Q&A for the last you know, 10 minutes or so of this panel. Um, I have plenty of questions to keep going, but again, if you do have a question, please go ahead and put it in that chat functionality um, and I will make sure to try to get to it. So um, we've talked a little bit about uh, in different kind of answers this has been sprinkled in as really youth and youth sports and kind of looking at that next generation. And it's something that is very top of mind for us at GSVS. We work with a number of our partners um, on youth sports because they all recognize the importance of that funnel um, to really get more kids playing sports, get more kids to potentially be uh, fans and to then have them kind of grow that lifelong, you know, relationship um, with the brand, with the team. And unfortunately, due to COVID, we've seen some kind of alarming numbers come out um, around the, the de decrease in kids, you know, playing because they actually just can't even get out there to do it. And so, you know, I do it's something that we are, I think, all on this call looking at, and, and uh, I know certainly our partners are um, very anxious to continue to contribute to that um, problem to make sure our kids are just getting out and playing. Um, but that's really, you know, younger kids. And one generation that I think is starting to really get a lot of buzz, especially through new platforms like TikTok, um, is Gen Z. And, you know, they are looking at sports in a little bit of a different way. I think, you know, they are starting to trend towards, um, you know, really identifying with the specific, excuse me, athlete versus a team or a league. They are actually more apt to like watch TikTok videos about that athlete um, versus actually sit down and watch a game. Um, so JC, you and I talked a little bit about this, but just be curious in terms of how are you guys thinking about reaching Gen Z, uh, and specifically even, you know, Gen Z women? 
Yeah, definitely. So our audience makeup right now and our gisters definitely skew more millennial um, as of now, but we've been growing actually very quickly amongst um, amongst Gen Zs, which has been really cool to see, um, especially over the last year in particular. And some of the learnings that we found is, yeah, channel matters so much, whether it's TikTok versus Instagram versus newsletter or podcast. Um, they're, they're definitely on different channels and, and that's something that we've, we, we learned very quickly. Um, we also have seen overall, um, and, and this is again amongst our gisters specifically, but that it has skewed to, to a more casual fan than an avid fan when it comes to those mainstream sports. Um, but it has been really interesting to see that there's super strong interest in some of those less mainstream or niche sports. Um, Tracy, especially some of the ones that you listed off, and I'm sure you've been seeing this as well, but gymnastics, volleyball, skateboarding, snowboarding, we've been seeing, yeah, a really interesting interest amongst our our Gen Zs in particular. Um, As you'd expect too, college sports are just huge. Um, And, you know, those up and coming college athletes, even those high school sports and high school athletes, really resonates well as well. I think over time has been a really big part of that too. And, and kind of funneling some of those superstars from, from a very early age. Um, We've also found that, and I don't think this is of any surprise to anyone, but they are incredibly principled and values driven um, a focus on sustainability BIPOC owned and operated companies, female owned and operated companies are things that, that they really care about. And it's, yeah, it has really been reflected in, I think some of the athletes um, that they're kind of making really famous in the companies that they care about as well. Yeah, that's great. We actually had a a question come in um, from one of our attendees, but I just quickly want to just bring in Kobe just to that point about kind of how JC's looking at Gen Z Um, you mentioned your two boys and how, how, you know, they look at sports and part of the reason you invested in this women's team was to show them that there is no difference and an athlete is an athlete and the game is a game. Um, how are you seeing them interact with sports? Is it, you know, traditional play? Is it through esports and gaming, you know, talk us a little bit about that. And then we're going to get to um, Bernice's question. Uh, fielding it's difficult <laughs> let me tell you it, it's, it's a very difficult from beforehand when you see all the distractions especially as you talk about um e-gaming and and that really coming into effect where where that seems to take a lot of their time you know getting them outdoors and stuff like that they do enjoy it once they're there so that's that's part of the part of the issue is trying to get a little bit of that that mind share i guess is, is the way we want to look at it because Looking at sports right now, it, as, as everyone's kind of hinted at, it's very difficult to get anyone, even my age and especially my young kids, to sit through a full full game, a full soccer game, a full baseball game, basketball, whatever. It's 10, 15 minutes or so, and then they're – and that's good. And then they're like, okay, uh, what's going on? And you see that they have, you know, different screens. You know, they can watch a game. They'll be looking at a an iPad, and they'll kind of interact with everything. So it, it's about – for me, trying to make sure that they kind of focus on the details of, of the game to see if that piques their interest, you know, because that that's one of the ways where it, if you can tweak their their mind and say, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Look at what this person's doing. Then all of a sudden, 
you know, you might get 20 minutes <laughs> instead of the 10 minutes. So for me, it, it is a difficult time. They are heavily into the, the e-gaming and that kind of transfers over to, you'd be surprised how much they learn from uh, video games and the e-gaming and going on the different platforms. And then that interest there shifts over into watching a game or, or, or some type of event. Because then all of a sudden they'll come, hey, daddy, daddy, when, when's this person playing? You know, so these, these are some of the things that I have to deal with and get my mind right to say, okay, watching a screen or going on YouTube or something like that is like back in the day for me looking at a newspaper to see when the sports game was coming on or what this athlete did. You know, it's a, it's a completely different animal, you know, so this is, this is the big change and parents need to understand that and, and see that the next generation, Gen Z, the millennials, all it's continuously changing and it's changing faster, you know, than we think. And it's kind of like what, what Tracy said, you have to be, you know, very particular about it and you have to actually focus on it every single day. Totally. We, um, we had a pan, uh, excuse me, an event for our partners last month on esports and gaming. And we had discord come and talk, which is a, a chat platform for those who are unfamiliar with it, that gained a lot of popularity um, in gaming and is now kind of entering um, into other into other areas, including sports, and we did a very deep dive on like esports and gaming ecosystem and kind of the crossovers, and ultimately came up with exactly Kobe what you were saying, which was traditional sports and esports have been pitted against each other from the beginning. Esports and gaming have been pitted against each other. It's always like esports is going to do better than regular sports, and more people are gaming. And in reality, we were like, drop the verses and add the plus, because there is a way for these esports and gamers. Um, and gaming communities to also be working with traditional sports to help grow each other's game, um, which is really, really exciting. And I could go on forever about this. And I know, Tracy, you and I, I, I know you have data on this as well. Um, I just want to do make sure that we do get to Bernice's question here. Um, so I'll read it out loud and then we can decide, you know, who, who wants to take this. But um, Bernice is asking, what channels are most successful to find female fans? Maybe besides the gist, what channels are most successful <laughs> people have found to find female fans? I mean, I can add a little bit here uh, online. That is the channel um, is online, you know, and online is fragmented just as much as the word mobile is fragmented. But in particular, Instagram skews heavy toward females um, especially the younger generation, not the Snapchat or the Gen Z and below, but definitely uh, that channel online. You know, we have 100% accessibility to online, every single person in the U.S. Might not have it all the time, but the statistic by Pew, you know, Pew Institute came out last year where it said, we're there. We all have online access and access opens up that opportunity. And so the thing, thinking about, you know, where do you find females online? A little bit's going to depend on age and purpose. And so JC mentioned this, you know, the purpose of TikTok is like mental release, get a vibe, get a quick, you know, it's super authentic. Purpose of Instagram is to, you know, for many, it's image and perception and reputation. Purpose of Facebook, you know, which doesn't at all relate to the younger generation. So I'm not even sure that one's worth talking about. And the purpose of YouTube, like Kobe was saying, is for like news and information. I want to sit back. That is their TV. And so 
I think you have to look at your audience. Who are you targeting? What are you trying to achieve? And where are you trying to get them becomes at least a little bit clear, but I don't know. I also think print is coming back in the mailbox because we all got rid of it forever. And now we're seeing a lot of direct response mail make an impact, especially for females, because they're like, holy shit, I got something in my mailbox today. This is cool. As long as it's thoughtful and it's not like another real estate, you know, postcard. (laughs) Um, So, but I think online is the place to start and be specific about those audience. I'll let the others jump in to uh, Bernice's question. I don't have an answer directly, but I think one thing that we kind of all touched on a little bit, and maybe Tracy, you made me think of it, but this, the name image likeness issue is going to be a game changer for female athletes. Uh, And, um, and, you know, the work that we have to do, and if you look at the research that the Aspen Institute does, their sport and society program is to keep girls in sport, because when they hit seventh and eighth grade, we see a mass exodus. And so we've got to keep them in sport. Look at that Aspen research. It's, it's really powerful. And then, you know, as we all enter this new space with name image likeness rights, you know, and, and that power that the athlete's going to have. I and mean, you think about the, the volleyball team at the University of Texas um, compared to the, I don't know, 50 other football players who nobody knows. And the, the opportunity they're using social platforms, using, you know, the digital space is really going to be interesting. It, it's, it's going to be a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and then, and again, for our audience members who not, might not be as familiar, the name image likeness um, is something that's coming up a new ruling in the NCAA about athletes allowing um, athletes in college to use their name image likeness in terms of sponsorships and, and getting actually paid for, for some of that, which has not been previously allowed. So I think that that's definitely something we are tracking pretty heavily um, and very interested to actually see how it can um, help elevate females specifically. Um, I know that we are unfortunately out of time. Um, I just wanted to quickly shout out. I have gotten a couple texts and direct messages about this, um, but about my t-shirt. I am wearing a t-shirt that says equal play, which I love. This is from another startup that we're super supportive at, at GSVS um, called Goal 5. They are building a product um, specifically um, clothing specific for women athletes. So definitely check them out. Also, uh, if you are interested in learning more um, about the Global Sports Venture Studio, please feel free to reach out um, to me on, on LinkedIn or my email is fielding period Jameson at rga.com. We'd be happy to tell you more about uh, what we're building at the Global Sports Venture Studio. And I just want to give a final thank you so much to our panelists um, for joining. This has been an amazing conversation. Really appreciate you guys are all super busy um, and very much appreciate you guys taking the time um, here with us today and sharing it with our, um, your insights with our audience. So thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your week and weekend and uh, stay safe, everybody. Thanks so much, Fielding. This was great. Yeah. Thanks, Fielding. And thanks, everybody who came, came forward today. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.